Hello again and welcome to another edition of the Driving You Crazy podcast. This is the show where we talk everything that gets you from here to there. I am the traffic anchor for Denver 7 News, Jason Luber. Pedestrian advocate Joseph Peters here, there, and everywhere on a fox with the rocks. Etc. No, no, no. You don't, because you are now a scooter advocate, yes. and you don't want rocks with the scooter. No, but I have seen a couple of people who are doing scooter tricks now, man. Oh, really? Yes. Sco- <laughs> scooter, said, scootering is getting intense. I was wondering that because they have the, uh, the the what's it the um, skate park downtown. Yeah. Over at Twentieth Street. Do you, are they over there riding it down there? So I don't visit the skate park, so I can't speak to that. But I did casually see somebody on a scooter hop onto the sidewalk and do a kick. A kick turn, I guess is what oh, you call really? it. Oh, really? Yeah, like did a, the scooter did the full 360 before they landed. It was pretty rad. Nice. So that's what's going to happen now. Yep. These things are going to become trick scooters. I hope not. That's a- <laughs> <laughs> well, we are here, and there was a very nice write-up in, about our show and the 100th episode. Uh, you can read it right now on the denverchannel.com. I heard from a few people saying congratulations on our 100th episode. I think it's a pretty big accomplishment. A hundred episodes, just over two years of doing this program. I would agree with that. I would say it's a big deal. A uh, hundred, more than fifty. We celebrated fifty pretty big. We celebrated a yeah. hundred the same way. And uh, I'm I'm proud of what we've done so far. We have a lot more coming up, and and we always bring you great stories, not just great stories, great topics, and great interviews. Later on in the show, we're going to actually talk about Colorado basically selling itself, selling its buildings. So they can get some inf- uh, get some money for roads, and so it's a really interesting topic. And we'll have Marianne uh, coming up in just a little bit to talk about her story in ColoradoPolitics.com. Uh, in my favorite story of the week, though, a man in Connecticut says he was wrongly cited for distracted driving after police mistook a McDonald's hash brown for a cell phone. Around 6 a.m. on April 11th, Jason Stiber said that he bought a hash brown at McDonald's and was then pulled over by a Westport police officer. Jason then said, I was eating a hash brown and he thought it was a cell phone near my mouth. He told the officer it was not a cell phone, but he was still given a 300 distracted driving ticket regardless. Jason said he had no reason to put his phone up to his ear because he has Bluetooth in his car and that he also tried to provide his phone records to the officer that would have shown that he did not make any calls in that hour that he received the ticket. So Stiber first went to his uh, trial a while back, back in the spring, they summer. They took this to trial. Well, yeah, he went to trial because it was a citation. So instead of just paying the ticket, he, he went to, uh, yes, you have, if, even for a speeding ticket, for any, you, you have the right to uh, face your accuser in okay. court. And, uh, and so he went, to, he went to court, and he, he argued his case before the magistrate judge and the judge found him guilty despite jason's presentation of the phone activity records and his plea that it was just a hash brown and not an actual phone up at his face well jason then requested a retrial which is now set to occur at state superior court on december 7th oh so coming up very soon now, a police spokesperson said he was pulled over for talking on his cell phone and giving uh, given an infraction. I'm sure his claim is different. That was from the police department. Now, to prepare for the retrial, Jason Stiber has hired a lawyer. No. For $1,000. No. It's about the same price, he said, his driver's insurance has increased since the issuance of the ticket. I say fight the power. Hash brown loving man. 
Because, well, you have that grease dripping down your face. Why didn't he show him the grease dripping down his face? You know, here's here's what would have solved the problem, Joseph. If he took the hash brown like normal people and he put it in his Egg McMuffin, because I'm sure he just didn't get the hash brown. He got the Egg McMuffin or he got the Flapjacks or he got the... What what else do you get there at McDonald's? I'll tell you what he definitely did not get is the flapjacks because you cannot eat those behind the wheel. Yes, you can. <laughs> I mean, I guess you, you don't can. have to put the butter and the syrup on it, but you can still eat it. Look, there are hash brown advocates out there who will go in and get just the hash brown, and I understand that. And I do think it's a little bit ridiculous. To, I mean, unless he was staring at the hash brown in front of his face like it was a cell phone, I don't understand how you mistake a hash brown for a cell phone. Well, when you have it in the wrapper, let's say you have the cell the, the cell phone. Let's say you have the hash brown. That's still in the wrapper, right? And you're eating it like that because it's so greasy that it gets all over your fingers and your face, right? You, and you just don't want to have the grease all over you, so you're holding it in the wrapper. Now, I, I I don't eat these hash browns often, maybe once a year, if that. So I have had them, okay. But that does keep the grease off. So I could see maybe an officer saying, "Eh, kind of look like a cell phone because you have the white wrapper and you have the two tone colors there." Right, But the question is, what did Jason Stiber say to the officer that made the officer not want to play ball with the hash brown defense and write him a $300 ticket? No, you cannot have my hash brown. That's what he said. You cannot have my Egg McMuffin. <laughs> I believe the language was likely more colorful, but I haven't hired a lawyer to prove my case yet, so who knows? You're right. Um, eating doesn't really have a time stamp. You know, you could still use your cell phone because um, uh, I'm holding one of my two cell phones here uh you can still use it as a and it will be a distraction and it won't have any like if i'm checking my facebook page or i'm checking out the weather or anything, there's no time stamp that i actually did those procedures well there isn't the phone i mean there there's a, well where show, show me where it knows that i was just on twitter i cannot do that because i don't know enough about apple but like they they keep logs on there but what i'm saying is a hash brown can be a distraction too oh no definitely Eating is a huge distraction. So even if it wasn't talking on the cell phone, he was still distracted by food. Because food is a huge distraction. But I have a problem with this officer. Show me, officer, where you have not eaten a donut behind the wheel. I'm sure he has eaten something behind the wheel. Write him a $300 And you know what? If you look at the officer. Now, look. I I love officers. I'm saying I saw the other day. This was last week. I'm driving home. Castle Pines Parkway, and I see this officer. He he he's uh, he's driving right next to me, on my left, and I see him weaving over to the left a little bit. I slow down just a little bit. He's he's going a little bit faster than me. He starts drifting onto the center line and then drifts back and then drifts. He was looking at his schmod, mm. his little computer system there that's in the car with them, and that is a huge distraction. Obviously, yes, now I'm sure is. he was trying to get some information about some. Bad people that he has to go get and, and, and deal with that, uh, which which I understand. That's that's way more important than me checking my status on on the stupid Facebook. But is it? Oh yes. Are we sure? Well, if he's keeping crime out of my neighborhood, that's important. <laughs> dang it! I'll tell you that right now. So it, it obviously officers are distracted just like people, and eating is a huge distraction. When you're in the car. Huge. I see people doing it all the time. Actually, I see most of the time people picking their nose and then also eating in the car and doing their phone. With the whole thing just right in their face. I, I mean, with the whole, I mean, just right there and, and there's no doubt about it. It is 
sky high in the car. Well, and let's talk about this for a second. You know, you've been through drive-thrus before in your life. Are you one of those people who says no? I'll wait until I get on the highway to start eating. Because no. Because somehow it's more acceptable to be distracted on the highway than it is on sides on uh, surface streets. I've heard that there have been multiple people in my life who will not start eating their drive through sandwich until they are on the highway because they feel like then they're in the clear. There is nothing better than leaving five guys with that bag full of greasy fries. You're an insane person. And then you start, as soon as you get back in the car and you start eating those hot fries... Oh, salty, and they're delicious. Getting all over your fingers, so you have to have the napkins there on the seat, and so you're getting a fry, wiping your fingers, getting a fry, wiping your fingers. That's savage, man. Oh, It is one thing to have a McDonald's burger. It is another thing to have a Five Guys burger. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. I'm telling you what. I just eat the fries behind the wheel, and I wait till I get home to eat the burger. Because they dump the fries in the bag. They, you know, they give you the cup of fries, but it always spills out. They have a ton in the bag. And they're just so hot and delicious. To our listeners in New Zealand, Five Guys is a burger place. <laughs> that's, that's I do. I, I have to. I, I have to remember that that we actually are heard all over the world. We are huge in Spain, um, as you read. It may be read in the article yep. that was out there. All right, so it's time now to play. What would you do? We like these games. Following a car bike collision, as a person that was on the bike, imagine yourself. Joseph and, and all our listeners, imagine yourself, you're on a bike, and you're riding your bike, and then you get into a car-bike collision. Time to play. What would you do? A, check to see if the person in the car is okay. B, exchange phone numbers and insurance information with that driver. Or C, drop your pants, poop on the road, and then sling that poop at the car. No. A, B, or C. B. That's probably the correct thing to do. However, what happened in Victoria, British Columbia, Canada, was a little different. Police are on the lookout for a cyclist who threw his own feces at a woman in a car. Following the collision with the car on his bike, the man who was on the bike pulled down his pants, defecated in public right right there on the street, picked it up, and threw his own feces like a gorilla at the zoo Right at the windshield of the car where the woman had locked herself in her car. Obviously a safe thing to do during this situation where a crazy biker pulls his pants down, poops, and throws it at your car. Victoria police say thankfully there were a lot of witnesses who uh, intervened because they were fearful the driver would be assaulted. Obviously the car was assaulted. Maybe it was a pooped Was the car not drivable after it hit the bicyclist? No, get out of there, lady. No, it was. Yeah, no, it was drivable. Yeah, because I saw the video of the man. There is video of the man getting up, dropping the pants, pooping, picking it up, throwing it at the window. Now it's it's it was somewhat dramatic. Listen, man, the the process you just described is not a quick one. That takes time. Well, and it takes some. I mean, was he holding it in all that time? Because it's not like I could go right now. If I had to do that right now, I could not do that. Right. Not on cue. I mean, I, you, I guess you would have to already have it, one in the queue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Torpedo in the chamber. Uh, the <laughs> now, before throwing his poop, <laughs> witnesses said the bike rider opened up the door to the car and was verbally abusive to the driver. That was pre-poop throwing. 
Video of the incident shows the man grabbing his bike and ramming it into the passenger side headlight of the vehicle before fleeing. The woman was not hurt, but she was freaked out. Now, what I'm thinking, too, is after he throws the poop at the car, he's now got poop on, on his hand. It wasn't like he washed it. He didn't, like, it didn't even like rub it out on the, on the street or on the uh, grass nearby on one of the median things. Um, I've always told my, my girls, and I've always told everybody, that, that poop is basically concentrated evil. Mm. And, it, and it carries all kinds of, of horribleness I mean, diseases and, and ugliness. And, and you shouldn't really touch – if you have to touch your own poop, I guess you can. Uh, or other people's poop or any poop in, in general. But it is, it, it, it is very bad for you if you get it in you. Was the car in the wrong? I don't know. Okay. Because I'm telling you, man, these cars out here, the, the drivers need to keep their heads up and get a better feel for what they're doing. Because there's too many times now where I'm walking into a crosswalk and a car is just casually like – not stopping at the white line and stopping at the crosswalk instead. And my new move is to give their hood a nice love tap, look directly at the driver's eyes, make sure that they know that I know that they're in the crosswalk and they screwed up, make them very uncomfortable. I see that a lot. I I used to hear from a guy that would carry a uh, roll of dimes, uh, one of the $10 thing of dimes, just the roll, small, but stout enough, and he would and he would hold it, and then he would whack it onto somebody's car if they did that exact same thing. Not just hit it with their hand or whatever, but he would, and it would make quite the sound. Yep. Um, and so, obviously, getting their attention. So, I, I read somewhere else there was something else that uh, came up about bicyclists. There was maybe somebody wrote me an email or something about it just recently, and said there is a lot of tension now between the bikers and the and the riders and the drivers, uh, especially here in town. Well, I mean, like, the drivers don't like the bicyclists. No. I, I think that that's a pretty fair blanket statement to make. I know, like, some of them don't. Okay, fine. But for the, for the vast majority of drivers, it's like, get these people out of my way. And, you know, I um, went downtown, so we did the lighting as the morning show. We did the lighting for the, uh, what's it, the Union Station downtown. And... This, uh, I don't go into the central core of downtown, even though our, our station here, we're on the south side of downtown. Uh, I don't really go into the central core of downtown that often. And we were, I parked right by, there's a new Whole Foods there. Gorgeous building. I mean, really pretty. That's my Whole Foods, man. I'm there all the time. Oh, it is really nice. Expensive. Definitely more expensive than other Whole Foods I've been to. You know, they because they they tend to be pretty expensive anyway, more than the regular groceries, you know, King Super, Safeway, whatever. Right. Um, but that one is even more expensive than the. I'm sure the rent and the building and all that is really expensive for them down there, so they have to charge a little bit more. And then I was surprised they had their own bar, which was pretty neat. A little bar restaurant there in the Whole Foods. Yep. Anyway, so we park there because we go up into the Whole Foods, and if you if you buy something, you get two hours validated parking. Uh, and so I, we walked across to the, what's it, Union Station, and we li- light the building up. And it, it was just interesting to see all the people down there and how the people are trying to move with the bikes and with the cars. And it was definitely favoring the pedestrians and the bicyclists. Pedestrians over bicyclists and that over cars. But it was it, I don't get to see that as often as, as I would like to. Well, and that's really where you were is maybe one of a handful of streets downtown where pedestrians really have the upper hand over everybody else. Because for the most part, I would say everywhere else in the city, it favors cars, bicycles, 
you know, people in the roads, and I think that's fair. But downtown, there's just so much. Like, it's a massive humanity down there, and it, people on their feet are going to get around quicker. And it was uh, pretty busy, obviously, with the with the building lighting, and there were a lot of folks out there for that. And yet still the only person you could hear for miles around was Molly Hendrickson. Really? Oh, yeah. So on TV, because you, you were here for that, I, yep. but she was the only one mic'd up. But uh, she could have not been mic'd up, and she still would have been the loudest person out there. No way. No, I was I because I, I, uh, I, I heard that I was one of the loud ones on the. I believe on the mic, that but. too. I believe that too. All right. Well, it was a good time. It was fun. Did it come off on TV? Okay or no? Yeah, it looked like a blast. Oh, okay, good. Well, that's that. That was the that was the goal here for us uh, on that evening. Well, we talked a while ago, and it really the big story of this week has been this information from General Motors mm. about closing down a bunch of plants, stopping to make a bunch of cars. Uh, we talked a while ago, I know, about the demise of the regular passenger car and how so many U.S. automakers are moving from cars to crossovers and SUVs and trucks, and they're also tooling up to make more electric cars. I'm sure you heard the news by now that General Motors will end production of six of their sedans by the end of 2019. Uh, it's It's sad to hear that, but it's also... Good to hear that they're at least trying, I think, trying to stay out ahead of what's going on in the automotive industry. Well, to a point, right? I think what's going on in the automotive industry is consolidation. Like, people don't need nine different options when you go to a Ford dealership. Give me a Focus, give me an Explorer. I'm good. I don't need any options besides that, really. But what happens when we see carbon taxes placed on fuel like they're seeing in France right now. That's mm. the main reason you're seeing gasoline at $7 a gallon there. Right. Uh, it's not just some uh, it's not just because of supply and demand. They're actually putting in those uh, those the climate accord was the Paris Accord climate right. uh, taxes on their fuel. And that's why you see that fuel in uh, price increase so much. If that happens here in the next 2 or 4 or 6 years, however the case may be, People are going to freak out. I mean, they're freaking out in France right now. Yep. They're really going to freak out here. Absolutely. But let's get back to GM because I think what was so galling about GM was the way that they took taxpayer money in 2010 and the way that they continue to cash out their top executives over and over again. And then they cut 14,000 jobs that they said that they would keep. I have numbers for you. They took the recession bailout cost America $11.3 billion long term. $11.3 billion. GM itself in 2017 spent $4.5 billion buying back stock to consolidate their own ownership of it. And last year they paid their CEO $22 million, which is enough to give every laid off employee a $1,500 check. So why are they laying off employees instead of just finding another place for them? They That's do the well. They question. have they 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 have found another place for many of those workers as they retool those closed factories that will not make some of these smaller cars anymore. They're going to be making trucks and they're going to be making SUVs and crossovers and electric cars. And so that's what it just they they are losing their job right now. But the way that a lot of companies this happened to a friend of mine, uh, what happens is they eliminate the job and then they repost the job because they want to get away and especially with the union stuff they want to eliminate the job and then they can rehire them either at a lower rate and or a new bargaining agreement with the unions that's what happens a lot so they fired all these people so they can pay them less later right well that, yeah that doesn't but you know sound what? shady I, at look, all i understand i understand i i 
I, I don't begrudge anybody for making as much money as they can, but I also see the point about these CEOs are making so much money. Um, are they worth it? I don't know. That's a question that that those that the stockholders have to have to. And look to so your point. Look at. Make as much money as you want. If you if you have a problem with the CEO making twenty two million dollars, go become the CEO of GM, and then we can have that conversation. Right. You know what I mean. But at the same time, I do think that there is a certain amount of taking care of your employees, and that's kind of the mark of a good company. Well, yeah, uh, but they, maybe they're not a good company. But the thing is, is, America took care of them. We went out of our way to bail this company out, and we could have just let it fall flat on its ass, and we didn't. And that was. That, this is how we get the payback. How right? many people do you think in this world are going to become the GE or the uh, the uh, head, the the CEO of General Motors, and then say, you know what, I only want two hundred thousand dollars as my income, and if you want to pay me bonuses, I'm not going to take them because I want to take all that money, and then if there was a layoff, I'm going to start distributing that money to all these different workers because that's that, what you're the not going to find anybody like that. But the issue is not the 22 million. The issue is the 14,000 laid off, and the issue is that you could not find a way to restructure your company to make sure that all of your employees were taken care of. That's loyalty, man. That's what people look for in companies, especially millennials who are used to this sort of shady stuff happening to them at every turn. Well, then you won't see millennials working for them. But they also pay generally higher wages than what they're going to find in other places, especially in that part of Michigan. Flint is not the best place in the world to live. Well, they did pay higher wages. Now they're going to cut them all. So. Well, no, and Flint is actually, their plant there is actually expanding. So I know a lot of the folks that were cut there at the other plants are going to be moving to Flint. Not that you would ever want to move to Flint because their water is so great. Um, but you're going to ha- have more people working there. So they are... This is the way some corporations do it. Do it, it. I have never run a corporation, so I don't know all of those ins and outs. I would love to talk to one of those people that would really give you not not just the BS answers, but a real heartfelt, it's a, you know what, I'm getting paid $20 million and I probably don't deserve it, but I'm taking it anyway. You're not going to find anybody that's going to say that. Ever, are you? No, well, look, the pressures of the job, I do think it's fair to say you, you earn what the market bears out, and, and these guys are worth their compensation. We hear the same, I, I hate to go on a side tangent, but we hear the same thing about legislators, right? Senators make $174,000 a year, but they only work 111 days. How dare they? We should cut their salaries first. Go be a state senator. Go be a United States senator. And let's see how that goes for you. And you tell me if $174,000 is enough compensation for that job. And I feel the same way about these CEOs, man. You can't pay them enough to take the amount of crap that they have to take when you're running a company of that magnitude. But because you're getting paid to take that crap, you should have to answer questions about why you're laying off more than 10,000 people this close to the holiday season so you can rehire them and pay them less. That's not acceptable. That should not be acceptable to the average American taxpayer. And we shouldn't be blaming the employees for it. We should be pointing the finger directly where it should be pointed, which is at GM's leadership. And what happens is then these companies, if if people stopped buying their product, then they would go out of business and then what? So how, 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 do, you, how do you formulate any change with these companies that are paying these exorbitant amounts of money, if you want to say exorbitant amount, um, and... and still keep people in, in in jobs. The company turned a huge profit last year. I don't have the numbers sitting right in front of me, but it was a profit in the nine figures, at least, if not 10. So it's just, it's ludicrous to me that you cry poverty. I understand changing the business model, but there's no excuse for laying off 14,000 people when you have that much income coming in, when your profit margin is that wide. There's just not. You've got to think that there's something GM could do reinvesting, 
finding jobs for those people that would be able to build the business more instead of just cutting them off to up the bottom line a little bit more. Yes. I think it's a philosophy that some businesses, I think some of the new tech businesses, the millennial businesses, they they have that mindset. These older generation companies, especially manufacturing, they don't have that mindset, especially the ones that are dealing with workers that are part of a large union. Can I tell you what company does do a good job of this? Scripps, the one that we work for. This is a company that we work for that goes out of its way to find places for people rather than just cutting them loose because this is a company that values loyalty and values finding a use for everybody in our family, right? And so you've seen it with a couple people around here where you see them get shuffled from job to job to job because we haven't found the right fit for them yet, but we don't want to give up up on them because we believe in them as people, right? That's what you're not seeing from GM. Am I in the right job? Yes. Are you sure? for our listeners who don't know, Jason Luber single-handedly covered a cr- uh, chase and crash <laughs> yesterday. It was a beautiful thing, my friends. It was a beautiful thing. Uh, we can talk about that maybe sometime later. Yes. I don't know. Uh, but I, I, you know what? As part of this discussion, I wanted to get and, and mention some of the cars, uh, the six cars that are going to be ending production here at the, uh, at the end of next year. So these soon-to-be-retired cars are the Buick LaCrosse. Now, year-to-date sales, basically they're all up through September. 13,409. That's down 14.2%. Uh, but they've been going, Buick has, o- over to those crossovers, and they have the sales of the Encore and the Enclave. Uh, those are both up this year for, Bu- for Buick. The Cadillac CT6, their sales this year, 7,270. 7,270, down 10.6%. It's still the only car that GM has. They use their super cruise semi-autonomous driving technology, but it's also the least popular Cadillac that they have. There's another Cadillac, the XTS. Their sales have been 12,664, up almost 16%. I was going to say that XTS is cool, man. I like that car. Now, most of the XTSs, they're sold to limousine and taxi companies, and GM recently updated their design to keep their customers happy. And it was driving sales higher. It is the only car GM is killing that has performed better in the first nine months of this year than in the first nine months of 2017. The Chevy Cruze. It was the, well, the September sales, or well, the Chevy Cruze, their sales for last year, get this, 109,662. That's a lot of cars. Right. Still down 26.5%. It's the best-selling Chevy sedan. It was the Consumer Reports' top pick for compact car last year. It was beat out by Toyota's Corolla and a handful of other smaller cars for this year, and the sales have been down because of that. Fascinating. The Chevy Impala, with sales of 43,952 out through September, that's down 13.4%. The recent redesigned uh, of the Impala was uh, made it the 2018 Consumer Reports top pick for larger cars, but it's a large car, and the market doesn't want to have large cars. They forget the large cars even exist because people would rather have the crossovers. Sedans or SUVs, man. I mean, I'm with that 100%. It is the worst selling among all those Chevys of large cars, and the one that hurts me the most <laughs> hits me right here in the old right there below the belt. Is the Chevy Volt. January through September sales, 13,243, down 13.7%. 
Now, the Volt, it's the plug-in electric hybrid. It always runs on the battery, but it has that generator in there that will generate electricity. And the problem is that people, for some reason, want all electric cars. Chevy has been producing the electric Bolt hatchback. Sales of that thing has fallen, too. But I think what is happening here is that people don't understand how much more useful the Volt is over a pure total electric car. That it still is an electric car. It's not a hybrid. It's an electric car with a generator. The Prius is a car with a battery assist hybrid. So you'll see the hybrids. They're regular cars with batteries in them that will help give them extra mileage. But the, but the electric car, this, that's what the Volt is. Now, of course, it made it affordable because I got back $11,000 from the federal and state government. Right. So the subsidy is now going away, and I think so fewer people are buying them. And they don't hold on to their value. Nearly, uh, there was my brother-in-law sold his. He bought it for 37 I think, 36 37 38 I think it just so because he got a new uh, Subaru something, this brand new Subaru. So he traded it in. He actually took a loss on the trade in. However, and then they sold the car. I think he said it was thirteen or fourteen thousand dollars. Oh my god! And it was about two years old. The used car market is a wild, wild, wild place, man. Yeah, <laughs> like to be able to buy a two-year-old car that somebody drove for two years straight for thirteen grand is. And he took care of it really well. Um, it's still going to have great battery life. It's a really well-done car. Um, but back to your point, I still think a lot of those workers will be coming back to work in different roles, different facilities. Some will be out of work for now, but Michigan has a, a better economy, not the kind of crazy economy here. Statewide, yes, but town by town, I think that's where, you know what I mean? Like statewide, fine, Michigan's not really going to take a huge hit off this, but you think about the towns in Ohio where the, this plant was not just the plant, but also like the primary employer for a town of 7,000. It's devastating. Well, of course it is. But imagine if GM didn't do this now and they waited like they did before the bailout where they are bleeding money everywhere and then the the whole company is about to to implode. So maybe this is a better option to keep the people that are working working, keep the company solvent, keep the company moving forward to at least give the people that are working there now and the ones that are going to be brought back a job for the future. Right? That's that's at least the way it seems like it's uh, eh, it seems like that's the way to go. I mean, their revenue was thirty five billion last year. They swung a profit last this last quarter. Net income of two point five billion. I don't know, man. Keep keep the factories open, GM. All right, to change gears completely here. One of the biggest transportation stories here in Colorado since the election has been the defeat of the two ballot measures that would have poured billions of dollars into transportation improvements and our infrastructure. Now, even though the Department of Transportation won't receive any of that money, they're still going to be getting some money, and it's coming in from a very unusual way. To talk about that is the author of the piece called How Colorado is Using Prisons to help fund transportation. I think it's a really interesting story. It's by Marianne Goodland, and it appears on the site coloradopolitics.com. Marianne, welcome to the Driving You Crazy podcast. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. So how does all this work? How is CDOT getting money from Colorado prisons? Well, this actually goes back to something that happened in 2017. There was a bill that the legislature passed 
that was an omnibus bill, meaning you can throw everything but the kitchen sink into it. And it was supposed to be, uh, to the intent of that bill was to help save rural hospitals and all the hospitals across Colorado by converting a fee that they pay and then is matched with federal dollars and what have you. Uh, and, and there were some problems with that. So they converted that fee to an enterprise, which is like a state-owned business. And, but as part of that bill, uh, um, they also put in that the um, Department of Transportation could go seek funding for what they call lease purchase arrangements or, or certificates of participation. And basically it's like a, a rent to own thing, except these are buildings the states already owns. And what they did is they basically put up a bunch of state buildings up for sale um, through bonds uh, um, on the securities market. And uh, the, this would allow the state to raise uh, $500 million to pay for transportation projects as long as about a quarter of that would go to projects in rural areas. And that's exactly what happened in September. The state put up uh, 25 buildings on the market. Folks that wanted to buy those securities actually thought that they were worth a little bit more than that. So the state wound up with $545 million that they immediately turned around and said, we're putting this into uh, this list of transportation projects that CDOT has all, is either already working on or planning to be working on in the next fiscal year. So CDOTs are not really selling the building. Like I bought my house from somebody else and I own the house and I'm paying back uh, a bank for a mortgage. It, it sounds like that it's, the state's just using those buildings as collateral to them. That's correct. So they, they still will retain ownership because I thought if they were selling off these buildings, that, that could have been the, the dumbest real estate move in all of Colorado history. Well, it's think of it like a reverse mortgage, okay? Um, I, I think it's, it's, it's more akin to like a reverse mortgage where you take the equity out, you, you find somebody that's interested in giving you money for that equity, and then you repay it. Um, and, and in the case of the state of Colorado, they're a good credit risk. The ratings houses loved this idea and gave Colorado pretty good ratings um, on, on which means lower interest rates, for one thing. Right. Basically, the state is uh, getting a bunch of money now, but then has to repay more later down the future. That's correct. Um, the, the, these bonds will be uh, repaid over a 20-year period at up to, and the and the bill in 2017 allows for this, up to $150 million a year. Now, where that money is coming from, um, $50 million of that is already in CDOT's budget. So, and the, the rest, they can go to the legislature and say, we need another $100 million to, or however much they want to pay back that year, because it doesn't have to be that entire $150 million. It just has to be up to that amount. We're talking to Marianne Goodland from the ColoradoPolitics.com about her piece entitled How Colorado is Using Prisons to Help Fund Transportation. So how do we get to the prisons portion of all this? Well, that was a decision that was made by the uh, state treasurer and the governor's budget uh, office. Uh, the state architect provided them with a list of the buildings that, that could be used, and they picked 25. Twelve of those buildings are prison buildings, and they're the ones that had values i think there was one that was like 141 million dollars in value uh so that's what they offered to the market and the um the folks buying those bonds 
like the idea of prisons because they're considered what's known as an essential state asset, meaning the state is not going to the state will do everything it can not to default on these bonds. Colorado's never defaulted on bonds, so there's there's not a whole lot of risk involved here. But but they they know that Colorado is not going to say we're, we can't pay the, the the bonds back. Guess what? You now own a prison. That just isn't going to happen. Well, and that was going to be my follow-up question is, you know, the the one risk here is that Colorado defaults through economic forces that are probably too big to really imagine right now. Um, if that were to happen, do all the, to your point, do all these bondholders just suddenly own a stake in a prison? No. Um, the the way that this has worked, and we, and the state has some really good, has a really good track record in similar situations. We've been through several recessions in the last 20 years. But about 20 years ago, Colorado put out bonds for the trans project, that I-25, uh, that central I-25 pot, uh, project. And despite terrible cuts in all kinds of departments, budget cuts that we that we saw in a number of different situations, including in after the Great Recession in 2008, the first thing that got paid back were the loans, and everything everything came after. So where is all this money going? to CDOT and what CDOT going to do with all this money? They've got CDOT's got a, a pretty uh, good list of where they want this money to go. They've got about a dozen projects that are slated to get this money over the next two years and, and some of those which are slated to get some of that money right away. The first, the two biggest projects that are going to get money right away are both on I-25. That's from uh, Denver to Colorado Springs, that portion that they've been working on, and North uh, North I twenty five. That's that's another really big project, and those two projects alone, just alone, are four hundred and fifty million dollars. So they won't get all of that money all up front, but they they'll get I think uh, a little over a hundred million in the first year, and another hundred and twenty five million, hundred and forty million in the second year. You've also got um, a series of projects in rural communities, such as State Highway nine. Um, this is uh, the highway that goes north of Frisco. That's going to get some work on it. State Highway 13 is going to get rebuilt, and that's over on the western slope. And then you've got uh, another one down in uh, La Plata County that's also going to get about $54 million in funding, uh, and that will be in the first year. I thought I also read in your story that it's also going to pay for the I-70 westbound shoulder lane, the new express lane that's, that would go up that's, that way. That's correct. Um, that that um, that is going to cost about eighty million dollars. They'll get twenty five in the first year, are, are, and then the rest in the second year. So, is this like you said? You said it's going to get money year after year after year. So how how are they going to keep getting money if they've already uh, sold the the lease at one time? They have this one time incre- uh, increase in money, and then are they going to just sell more buildings? Um, that's entirely possible, but, but that hasn't been authorized by the legislature. So, um, it'll be up to the legislature to figure out if they want to do more of this, but keep in mind, the more borrowing you do, the more you got to pay back. And the one thing that, that got the most attention, um, on these two ballot measures that failed was a concern that the state would over obligate itself on these transportation bonds. And that was a big reason why a lot of folks came out against Proposition 109, uh, because because they were concerned that that would that would make create obligations that the state would have trouble with if there was another recession. 
So how would you characterize this decision to go to sort of the lease purchase model? Because as an outsider just looking in, it certainly feels like like how I would feel about a homeowner taking out a reverse mortgage. It can be it can be used for good things, but it's also sort of a break in case of emergency thing where you do it because you don't really have a lot of other options. Is well, that where the legislature it, is? I, I think that that's exactly right. The legislature really doesn't have a lot of options with regard to long-term sustainable funding for transportation. They get little bites of the apple from time to time, but, but there really hasn't been any major funding of transportation projects in quite a long time. This million do- this billion dollars is, is the first really big uh, pot of money to go to transportation in a long time. And, you know, given the state of Colorado's roads and highways and bridges and everything else, it's, it's, it's a small portion of what CDOT says it needs. The CDOT says it has a $9 billion wish list over the next decade. But at least it starts to work on some of these really major projects. Well, and I would also ask, what is the next move? If, if not a ballot measure and if you can't really do the lease purchase model again, do they have any other options moving forward? I believe that they're going to take another bite of that apple of going back to the voters. Well, they pretty much have to. Uh, I would think that with the new makeup of the uh, legislature over there, they're going to probably try to come up with some kind of money for transportation, whether it's an increase in the gas tax or any of those, or or putting in fees. Like you said, this initial uh, hospital fee uh, that was changed to an enterprise was actually a way to get around the Tabor uh, restrictions about having too much tax uh, paid in and then has to be refunded back to the taxpayers. So I could see that that's one of the reasons that you see so many fees as part of your of your vehicle registration is because it's then it's not a tax and it doesn't have to go through the taper process. Exactly. And I, I really don't think the gas tax is, is a feasible option. Nobody's really, really seized on that as the way to fix the problem. And and the reason for that is that gas taxes really don't pay their way anymore. Uh, even if you increased it, you still have you still aren't going to raise the kind of money you really need in order to to address this very long list of projects that CDOT has. And the other issue they raise is that with so many people using hybrids and electric cars, they don't pay into the gas tax or they pay very little, and that it's not proportional to the amount of use on the road. So the gas tax is really not something people love, and and so I think. The only other option is to try again with uh, asking the voters for for something. And you know, obviously, this last the proposition one ten wasn't the right wasn't the right answer. We'll have to figure out what what voters are willing to to accept. Have you heard of any other states doing this model of selling their buildings, leasing them back, and then and trying to cover other state funding problems with this method? This is a fairly this is actually fairly common. This is not unusual. Colorado's done this before. Um, Higher Ed has been doing it for years. Interesting. Well, thank you so much for uh, joining us here on the Driving You Crazy podcast. We sure uh, appreciate your time and your insight. Okay. Thanks very much. Thanks again to Marianne Goodland from coloradopolitics.com. That was a really interesting uh, discussion there. And, um, yeah, it was great. Yeah. Yeah, it was very good. Yeah. So if uh, you've ever driven on the infamous snake section of California's Mulholland Highway outside of Malibu? No. No, you haven't? It, no. Nope. It, it's one of the most popular windy roads in California. It uh, was really popularized by a lot of people doing uh, uh, taking their fast cars up there, their motorcycles. 
They would skid around some of the real tight corners, especially that snake section. Some people would crash because they go too fast. They they wouldn't have the right tires for it. There'd be people that would camp out there with video cameras. Just look up uh, Mulholland Highway, um, the snake section, and, and you can see on YouTube some of the crashes and some of the cars that used to go through there. It was a lovely area before the devastating fire that burned the area pretty much to nothingness, mm-hmm. and the scale of California wildfires are really beyond the scale of anything we've had here, be, beyond anything of living memory. I can, I can, I mean, that whole town killing nearly 100 people. It's, it's tragic. It's unbelievable. Um, but I saw some photos of the snake and that infamously crash-prone section of the, of the highway. It looks like it was taken from that lander that just landed on Mars. It's just so desolate now. The California Highway Patrol posted some pictures of the snake recently on Instagram, and it showed out that burned landscape, including some damage to that pull-off area there. They said even though the rock wall was still standing, all the utility poles were burned down to the ground. There were wires laying in the road. The wooden guardrails were all burned away. So they all have to be replaced before they can open up that highway again. And there's so much work to do. Not only to rebuild the roads, but the other infrastructure that that all burned down in those fires. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's pretty sad that it's uh, it's taking such devastating toll there on all those people in California. Well, and it's uh, you, to your point, recovery is going to not be a overnight, over a year, over a ten year period thing. I mean, it'd be, it, it it's safe to say I don't think that area is ever going to get back to what it was. No, we we have some burn areas here that still, after decades, still hasn't come back. The same way, and I and, and they probably won't for a hundred years. Well, that's what doesn't get talked about with these wildfires. It's it's like once the wildfires contained, we all kind of treat it like it's over. No, that is a that is a you know centuries long scar now that this Earth, Mother Earth, yes. is going to have to heal from. And the timeline for Mother Earth is a lot longer than ours. Yes, that's absolutely. for sure, definitely. Well, thanks again for being here. Great show of uh, show number one hundred and one. So we're into the. Triple digits now, baby. Triple digits of the Driving You Crazy podcast. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, I'm Jason Luber, the traffic guy. I'm planet Earth advocate Joseph Peters. (laughs) Me too. Be safe, and as always, happy motoring.